I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG, part of Clarivate. This series examines the healthcare ecosystem and its current business challenges and opportunities. In each episode, I'll be talking to key leaders and stakeholders in the industry about how they're anticipating and navigating market dynamics. Currently, our series is focusing on the COVID-19 pandemic and the numerous challenges it has unleashed on the whole of the healthcare industry. So in line with this, I'm delighted to be joined by my special guest, Werner Lantala. Uh, Werner is the CEO of Evotech, um, a publicly listed uh, drug and discovery company headquartered in Hamburg, Germany. The company is involved in uh, a number of activities in the global fight uh, against COVID-19, including ACTIVE, which is a public-private partnership uh, which aims to develop a framework to rapidly respond to both the COVID-19 and future pandemics. And also COVID R&D, which is a, a global crowdsourcing initiative uh, which involves the top pharmaceutical company R&D leaders. So, Werner, I hope you and those you care about are all keeping safe, and thank you very much for, 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 for joining me. My big pleasure. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm, I'm well. Thanks very much. So, um, so Werner, the first question, uh, and it's kind of the obvious one, what, what, what have been the, uh, the most immediate impacts um, on your company and uh, employees uh, from, this, from this pandemic? So Evotech is a company with about 3,000 scientists working on 14 different sites where the first question we asked ourselves was how to continue operations because the last thing we wanted to have happen is that research stops against diseases, not only against coronavirus, but against all diseases. So it was clearly on our mission to say, okay, we want to create open platforms throughout the whole time of however long this pandemic lasts. This is of course only possible if you respect a few very clear principles. Principle one, that every employee has to protect him or herself first in order to protect others. The second principle is to say, okay, follow all guidelines to reduce business risk, but of course also health risk for everyone in the company. And the third situation that we created immediately is to say, okay, how can we organize our work life to stay open and create an even more efficient system for the many partners out there? which, for example, was only possible by creating a shift work in order to have lower density in labs and allow people to come to work on lower density ground, meaning that our people started shift work from 6 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, and with this, the density in the labs was reduced dramatically. And, of course, you have to take care of all the hygiene measures in labs. So we, very early on, because one of our sites is in Verona, we're able to adopt these principles already in March and then roll it out through the whole organization so that about 90% of the total capacity of Evotech has been 
open throughout the whole corona crisis now and was available for research not only in virology but also in all other disease areas so i mean that, that's interesting so you you've actually managed to sort of maintain 90% productivity it hasn't been that impacted it's important because if research companies stop who else would create a solution against yeah. the virus which is out there if research platforms stop who else would develop a drug who else would develop solutions so that's why i think also many national governments have accepted very soon that these are essential platforms on the one side to fight against the pandemic and on the other hand what people should not forget that there are many other diseases out there that also have to be fought against at every moment in time and that's why for me it's so important to not always only focus on covid as a major fight that we all have to go through but not to forget all the other serious diseases where there are hundreds and millions of people out there who are looking for help mm. but looking at the sort of <clears throat> sort of the research efforts um, that you know evo tech uh, is involved with have you seen a, a sort of a redeployment of activity i mean have you have you downplayed or, or stopped doing some things and are focusing on other um, issues now i think of course the interest in virology has spiked higher than ever before and of course also here the awareness of not only the hundreds of viruses that are out there and the threat of hundreds of viruses has increased dramatically so that's clearly a shift in in early r&d that we see and the second thing that we also see is it's not only about virology it's also about bacteriology because if you look at all the hospitals and if you look at all the death situations and major infections that we have seen also in this covid crisis now in the hospitals of course the awareness of all infectious diseases be them virology driven or bacteria driven is clearly on the rise and that was for example uh, a research field which was highly neglected in the last decade and i think here you can see a mega trend of this to come back big time so you you sort of think that actually um the so sort of the pandemic is i guess refocusing uh, you know people's attentions on these neglected areas and this there could be a boost for you know issues around antimicrobial resistance beyond this i think it comes down to what we all learn is that the level of preparedness would have been the best insurance policy for a global economy and a global society and if you today know that there are hundreds of viruses and clear reasons for infections out there the better preparedness for these diseases yeah i think will be a major effort that we all have to collectively invest in for the next pandemic to come which we then have to be better prepared for yeah sure and i mean one of the 
and Evotech is very much uh, at the heart of this. One of the things that we see in sort of pharmaceutical and the and the biopharmaceutical biotech space is the sort of the the, the need for cross fertilization uh, partnerships, alliances, whether that's with academic groups, biotechs, or or other pharmaceutical companies. Given the fact that there is a restriction on you know meeting up with people, etc. Have you sort of seen any sort of slowing down in sort of the these kind of new conversations around you know, potential um, uh, you know, innovative uh, partnerships? Actually, I think it's even the opposite. I think it, it's almost a magic moment happening in our industry when you, for example, see how the initiative of uh, COVID R and D came together, where twenty six companies have come together and we have all agreed to share data, to take down the barriers of competition to the lowest possible level in order to fulfill our joint mission and fight against a disease in a collective effort without competitive barriers. And it's, again, being part of this is energizing more than you can imagine because all of a sudden we feel that this is the industry that is providing solutions and that really in, in the best of all spirits is bringing research forward. So I think here, academic centers, pharma, biotech, all of a sudden realize what we have always tried to do is forcing us, yes, not into a physical meeting room, but into a Zoom or into a, a whatever WebEx situation. And here... It feels also because people are at home and they would like to do something that the energy that is uh, coming together is not, not less than it used to be before, but I think it's more than ever before because it's again a magic moment for our industry where for the whole society, all of a sudden we play a very important role in order to deliver what we always have promised to try to deliver solutions for diseases. And that's, I think, where every one of us is 150% alert. So um, it, it's, uh, it's very interesting that that COVID R&D, sort of that consortium. I mean, could you sort of just sort of give us some insights in you know, actually how it came about in, in, in the first place and, you know, sort of how um, the, sort of the approaches were, were prioritized? So it's really that a few people know each other from the many, many meetings that we had together. And I don't know, to, to, to just mention a few of them, Rupert from Rupert Vesey from EMS or Andy Plum from um, Takeda or Mene Pangalos from AstraZeneca or, um, or Jay from, from Novartis or Hal from TSK. So... People basically all individually tried to do something and then someone just sent an email around and said, guys, why don't we do this all together now? Organize ourselves in six working streams where everyone then says, okay, what is the working stream that we want to coordinate in order to avoid double working? Because why should everyone make the same experiment and not share a learning curve? So it was really the thought why don't we share very fast learning curves in order to give this industry the momentum yeah, where everyone collectively 
takes down the barrier of competition and brings everything forward that they want to bring forward. That's one element. And the other element was where you want to compete, you can still compete. Nothing against it. It's completely open, completely free. No, no regulation on that. But everyone was invited to say, let's share where you want to share, compete where you want to compete. And that's how, how the whole process came together. And we are now, I think, in work, working week number six of, of what we're doing. And it's amazing. It's really amazing what progress that we are making. Yeah, I mean, it's just the sort of the, 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 the velocity of, um, of, of that whole process um, is it's kind of almost mind-boggling. Um, and, and I'm sure there's lots of people thinking, you know, when they've ever had to deal with pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, it's always a, a lot, a lot more drawn out process. So what, what were the sort of the ground rules and, and what were the, the shortcuts that you were able to make that has actually allowed this uh, uh, to have the momentum and to, to gain momentum? Absolutely. So that's really, yeah, again, magic moments of this industry where no one wanted to bring us together in a pandemic, but now everyone is fighting the fight together and, that's, and that just feels right and feels good. But was there, was there anything, you know, sort of in particular, I mean, that, that normally would take a long time to, to resolve when, when you try to work with, with other groups that actually it and was, let's... Also here, very, very important, the principle number one that everyone said it's only about speed. Yeah? And it's about speed to come to data. And when you, for example, look at the clinical trial acceleration group um, and clinical repurposing group, it's only about speed to come to data and to come to patients. When you come to the clinical repurposing or the preclinical repurposing group that Cara Carter from Evotech and, and me are, are leading, it's only about speed to come to data. Yeah? So that's the principle where typically before we generate speed to data, we have to go to loops of legal complexity, through loops of commercial complexity. Everyone here said there is no commercial dimension. We just want to find a solution and then park the commercial dimension. Yeah? So this was taken out of the equation because we clearly made it pre-competitive as a, as a general principle. And with this speed is the key principle to, to bring things forward. And that's what you will see now that the initiatives in the vaccine space that, for example, Matai from J&J is leading in antibodies that are going forward will go to the clinic significantly faster than in any other uh, vaccine trial that, that would have been tried in the years before. Or if you go to the data sharing um, that we are doing, it's significantly faster than ever before. So that's really, I think, the, the results of this. And I think everyone also realizes that we want to learn from this experience and then translate this yeah. wherever possible also into the future and into other disease areas, into other... Uh, elements of how we can bring research forward, the society forward, and also the companies that are involved in this forward. And by the way, this is also an invitation to every listener. If they want to join such an effort, they should just reach out to whoever, uh, if they want me, and I'll just bring them into, into the, the flow of work streams that are relevant for them. Actually, I mean, this is probably a good point. Could you sort of you know, describe 
you already mentioned sort of you know vaccines and antibodies uh etc what the what the sort of the, the, the work streams are what how many different angles are is the industry looking at to you know tackle this so the first is clinical trial acceleration ongoing clinical ideas and basically accelerating them by creating master protocols for these clinical trials the second is clinical repurposing of existing drugs that are already on the market or in advanced clinical trials in basically guiding them towards uh, COVID. The third is preclinical repurposing by taking compounds that are currently either in the research phase or that have been used or marketed for other indications to preclinically repurpose, repurpose them and bring them forward. The fourth is a data sharing work stream where we say all data collected, all knowledge collected, put into one basically data house and everyone can access that. That's where Biocentry, by the way, is, is super helpful in opening a portal in, in doing this and opening this for the industry. A group on antivirus because it's very clear that one, one intervention mechanism will be novel antivirus. A group is focusing on novel antibodies and one group is focusing on preventive vaccines. That's how we organized. Every one of these groups has an individual leader and brings forward all ideas into this work stream. If there are progress there, fine. If there are not progress there, they just go back and are maybe progressed somewhere else. Yeah? But what we wanted to create yeah, is to have a clear center that learning curves yeah, are much, much faster than they typically are in this industry. That's, that's a very simple organization principle. And also uh, McKinsey as a consulting firm was kind enough to pro bono organize and help us organize this throughout the, the uh, work that we are doing. And, and with this, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very, very, very well organized process that will also continue and then stop when we don't see value generated anymore. So no one is in this for uh, achieving anything else than solution for COVID. Yeah, so, and if a company or a partner is involved, it can be involved in multiple streams. It, it's it's yeah. not just uh, volunteering for one stream, but can actually go across the board. It's basically, Everyone has only one goal to try to solve a problem. Yeah. Once this is done, then this, in a, this initiative is done. Okay. So, uh, I mean, your or EvoTech is taking the lead on, on, on one of those streams. Could you just sort of give us a sort of an idea of what the week looks like in terms of you know, ensuring that you know, everything is coordinated, that everybody is connected? You know, how, how does it actually, how does the process look? Yeah, I think that the important point here also is, you know, when you talk about preclinical repurposing of compounds, it is very important that the whole industry finds platforms that are simply operational. You know, many of the R&D platforms globally currently are shut down. There is no one there. Yeah. If, of course, you need a virology platform, yeah, the high-quality essays that you have to access within the industry or academia are very rare. Yeah? 
So there are about three or four places that can do very, very good high quality essays. And what we basically did, let's, that we said, let's coordinate the flow of compounds on one central platform from the central platform into the essays that have industrial grade quality and then have a standard data set that comes out of this asset to make them systematic, unbiased, and comparable in order to have about 2,000 or 3,000 compounds with comparable data next to each other, where you then can say, okay, this has a rationale to be pushed forward, and this has no rationale to be pushed forward. If a, an individual company then doesn't believe that rationale, they can always do whatever they want to do. Yeah? But the important point here is to say, Let's create a systematic, unbiased, and comprehensive platform in order to show everyone the same set of data that is derived in the same or at least similar processes. Yeah? And that's, that's a pure coordination work on the one hand side. That's a, a virology capability that you have to have. That's, of course, comes down then down to that if you want to do animal models, you have to have access to safety levels for virology experiments that you have to do. And most critically, you have to, to, to really let this flow extremely fast um, because otherwise, again, this whole momentum is lost. That's just the, the description of how this works. So, so, so you, you, you described that the, sort of the, the motivation is to develop a, a solution um, in, in each of the work streams, what, what is the sort of the outcome? Is it, is it to have um, a, a, a treatment or an approach that then could go into human clinical trials and then that will be you know, taken on by you know, somebody else? Or are you actually looking to you know, have something that is going to, you know, that patients are actually going to recognize um, as soon as possible? Again, the, this pandemic needs a toolbox for patients who are affected with the virus. So therefore, early R&D is providing a solution later. Yeah? You need also now situations that are already happening. And we have all seen the data from Rendezvous uh, coming. So here is one element in the toolbox which is there you will see antivirals coming. You will see novel antibodies coming into this toolbox. You will see prophylactic vaccines coming into this toolbox. You will see small molecules coming into this, tool, into this toolbox. So I think the toolbox to fight against COVID-19 will just be filled up as fast as we go. And every element in the toolbox will basically make the fear of the disease go down or go away once we have the whole toolbox complete. And that's, I think, where, where it, this doesn't have to be one solution at one moment in time. The toolbox will fill up. And the faster we are with one element in the toolbox, the better it is for patients. Yeah. You, you, um, you, you made an appeal um, for other people to, if, if they you know, wanted to participate, to, to join the consortia, to um uh join some of the work streams um we've got biopharma and, and pharmaceutical companies um are there other sort of skill sets that you're looking for 
um, that you would actually also like to, to, to join the initiative? Again, uh, it comes down to many, many things really have been extremely well described on, on BioCentury and that's also the open portal of BioCentury. So that's where people can really inform themselves and if they have something to contribute, then there is an email and they should just write it there and that will then certainly be picked up if it is valuable. At this moment in time, I think we feel that we have defined the topics quite well. Yeah? And that's, I think, then just something where you have to give it now the right momentum and a bit of luck that the toolbox will be full sooner, sooner than, than later. Sure, and uh, one of the, the, the things that uh, yeah, our data um, has sort of demonstrated that there has been a slowdown in sort of you know clinical trial initiations, etc. Um, now you know clearly you know when looking for a solution to to the pandemic, um, you know one can imagine that they're going to get fast tracked. But what about the sort of the uh, the sort of the ex-COVID-19 uh, uh, situation. I mean, uh, what concerns do you have, the fact that there is going to be a slowdown in, in, in clinical trial readouts and clinical trial initiations? I think here, the first thing is on COVID, everyone has, has realized we better treat these people with the drugs fast and therefore fast track that and also hear the help of the regulatory bodies is fantastic throughout the world at this moment in time. Also here, the industry is truly coming together with its regulatory body and is trying to be fast, knowing that it's not always simple, knowing that the last thing anyone wants to have is a drug which is not safe and tested with patients. So here, really people should be not, um, not throwing all standards that we have established in the last decades overboard. I think that's very, very important also as a principle to keep. And the other concern for me really is that we are too slow in realizing that we have to also fight against all other diseases with the same power that we are now trying to do this for one disease that is called COVID-19. And that's why we just have to control how to open systems. We just have to manage that a bit better, but we just have to do it faster than slower because there is no reason why an oncology patient should wait for his or her treatment. Yeah? If it would be ready for clinical trials now and if we can organize a clinical center in a way that it can be done. Yeah? There is no reason for a, a CNS patient to wait for their clinical trials. So I think, yes, it was right to have this moment of reflection. How is this now rightly done? Now we have to really start and say, what's the process to organize to create a protected environment for as many clinical trials and research initiatives to restart? Yeah? Because again, it would not feel right to me that an oncology patient has to wait while a virology patient gets all the attention on the planet. Yeah, sure. Um, but as, as we look at it, and you, you kind of sort of just highlighted it, that there, there are certain things that have happened in this, this process. I mean, it, it 
we've been forced into it, you know, just in terms of like speed, the way that you know, companies have come together, have been shown a willingness to share, you know, certainly pre-competitive um, uh, data, et cetera. And I'm just wondering that if we look beyond the pandemic, what, what lessons have we learned that you think um, we, should, we should embrace and we should build on to sort of you know, ensure that you know the pharmaceutical uh, companies and all the other sort of stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem can you know, provide, I guess, better care for for patients as as we go forward. Yeah, I think also here pre-competitive data sharing and consortium typically ended always up in the box of inefficiency. When you, when you said this, yeah. yeah? If now one of the learnings is that pre-competitiveness and data sharing can also be efficient, yeah, that would be fantastic. And I think also here, thanks to, for example, what the Gates Foundation has been uh, really mentoring for a long, long time now, we see that there are many disease areas that could also be tackled like that. So I think give the opportunity to open more disease areas that are currently just not researched enough. The second is here, the convergence of academic know-how with industry know-how has never been as fast as we see this now. So also here, this, this idea of converging academic know-how, pharma know-how, regulatory know-how to translate this to other processes, that's clearly also learning. And the third thing I think really is to, as a whole industry, yeah, learn that there is such an important moment yeah, where we can prove to the society yeah, that what we are doing is not only trying to make money out of new drugs, yeah, it's really to help patients and create innovation power yeah, to make more of these drugs. Yeah? And, and of course, that's, that's, I think, really where hopefully post-pandemic there will be a true realization that investments into the healthcare sector do something for the whole society. And, and that's, I think, where, where we should be. Yes, there will be still a few dark weeks and, 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 and maybe months, but post that, I think it will be for the healthcare industry one of these opening moments for much more opportunities than ever before. Great. So, Savannah, thanks very much for. Yeah, taking time to talk to us today uh, and uh, I think the insights that, that, that you shared are going to be you know, invaluable uh, particularly this critical time and, and I'm sure that they resonate with you know many leaders in your position. Absolutely and I wish you a haircut when you can get out of the UK and you're home again. Yeah thanks very much Werner. <laughs> um, so, so if after listening to this broadcast uh, you've got questions for uh, either me or over Werner uh, please click the link at the end of the video. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please feel free to give us any feedback so that we can make these conversations in healthcare as useful as possible. In our next uh, episode, we'll be talking to uh, my colleague, uh, DRG consultant, uh, John Yeager, um, and he's going to be talking about how COVID-19 is impacting patients' treatment and access to specialty uh, therapies. If you'd like to tune in, uh, follow our LinkedIn page where we'll be posing uh, alerts 
uh, posting alerts to episode releases. Um, so in closing, uh, yeah, I'd like to thank Werner again for joining us and, and, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'd also like to thank and show appreciation from me and DRG and Clarivate to those in the healthcare system who are working tirelessly to help people survive this crisis. We are all indebted to you. Uh, so until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. I'm Mike World, and uh, I'll see you in the next episode.